You know, after weeks like this past week, you know, with us meeting in a school, um, you know, it's, it's a rough week. You know, as you think through the events, you know, my kids have been at Weatherby Elementary, at least, you know, one kid, at, you know, at some point in time for the last 11 years. So, you know, as you think through the events of seeing what happened, um, you can't help but put yourself in the spot of those poor parents. Uh, and I think, you know, as you think about Uvalde and those, that situation, you know, the, the question comes up, why does events like this one happen? Um, that's the, the biggest question. Um, you know, and, and God is very clear about that in his word uh, about these events. And it says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We know that the why behind that is the sin in the heart of man. Um, sin is, it says in Romans 6, 23, the result of the sin in a wicked heart, it says that the wages of sin is death. And we saw that this past week. We saw that the previous week in Buffalo. We see that almost every time you turn on the television, it feels like now we are seeing what Paul said there in that passage, the wages of sin is death. That is the result of the sin in the human heart. But Paul didn't finish, didn't stop that passage there. He said, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is the hope that we have as believers. And that is the hope that we're talking about in this series. Um, and, you know, I, I thought, man, what a, what a, a, such an appropriate topic for these events that have happened over the last few weeks. We, we started last week a, a multi-series um, or a multi-week series on the book of Revelation. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. You can find that on Apple, Spotify, um, and listen to the podcast for last week because we kind of laid the groundwork for the series that we're going to be in through a good part of the summer. Um, you know, let me tell you why this topic is important, just to kind of recap a little bit of last week for those of you that were not with us. It's important because what you believe about tomorrow impacts how we live our lives today. What you believe about tomorrow impacts how we live our lives today. If this life is all that there is, that's going to change how you live your life. You're going to just go all out and enjoy all of the, the sinful pleasures of this world. But if we believe there is a tomorrow that we're living for an eternity and that we are just travelers and this world is not our home. It changes how we live our lives today. And as you're going to see throughout this series, we have a hope for tomorrow. We look at the evil, wicked events of this week and know that there is a hope. And it's not a hope as you know, I'm going to define this again this week. We talked about hope. You know, the, the, the world defines hope of, I, I, I think it's going to happen. I, I, I'm kind of hedging my bets, but that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is a confident expectation or assurance based upon a sure foundation for which we wait with joy and full confidence. In other words, when the Bible talks about hope, you can take it to the bank. There's no doubt about it. That is biblical hope. 
And so as we started out in the first few verses of Revelation last week, we, we saw that the book of Revelation, it's all about the unveiling of Jesus Christ. You know, all at this point throughout Scripture, we've seen Jesus as a babe in a manger, as a suffering Savior upon a cross. And the book of Revelation is going to unveil Jesus as a conquering king. And that's what we are going to see in the weeks to come. Just to give you a little bit more background, the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John. He was the last surviving apostle. Just imagine, you know, all of your, your buddies, all your bros that you had been in service with, ministering to all across the Roman world to hear of each one of them that has died a martyr's death, one after another. And the Apostle John has been tortured. He's been told by the Roman government to shut up. He's been boiled alive, and now he's been thrown on the Isle of Patmos, which was the Alcatraz of its day. Essentially, the Roman government says, we'll just put you out somewhere where there's nobody, so you can't tell anybody else about Jesus. And that's where he finds himself. And that's where this book, where the angel came and gave him the vision of Revelation. And the second coming is what we are going to look at. The rapture of the church today is the blessed hope. It is the blessed confidence to know that this world is not the end. When we pass from this life, this is not the end. We have that blessed hope. John was told to write three things down that we looked at last week. Write what you have seen. And he wrote what he saw, and that was the vision of Christ. And he's, then the angel told him, write the things which are. And that is the church age. The first, you know, John chapter 1, 2, and 3, he talks about the churches. And those were literal churches in that day. Those seven churches, you know, Pergama, Thyatira, those, all those seven churches. But they were also representative of the churches that you find all throughout history, even today. That is the things which are. And then, then he was told to write the things which shall be thereafter. And that's Revelation chapter 4 going forward. And that's where we're going to start today. So it's very clear as we look in verse 1, we're entering this third division. The, the church age is going to end. From the time that Christ ascended back up into heaven, and he went to go sit on the right hand of the throne of God, for the last 2,000 years we have been in the church age. The church has been spreading to the four corners of the earth, telling the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this church age, it will come to an end. And we're going to look at today when that will happen. It says in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. To help us understand today, we're going to look at the what, when, and who questions of the rapture. So what is the rapture? What is this sacred mystery? You hear this term, the rapture, to be raptured out. What is this? What does scripture say about it? Now, mystery is not a mystery story like you might see in a novel when the Bible talks about a mystery, but a mystery is in, in the Bible is a truth that no one would ever figure out on his or her own, 
but has been revealed by divine revelation and God has unlocked the secret in the word of God and the Bible calls that a mystery. That nobody would know it, nobody would see it unless God revealed it to them. So the Apostle Paul wrote the letter, this letter to the church at Thessaloniki or Thessalonica. It's the ancient Greek city. And it was one of the cities that he passed through as he was traveling through all of the, the known Roman Empire, establishing churches, training, teaching people through his, one of his three missionary journeys. And he's writing this, this letter back to the church at Thessalonica because the church was ignorant of what happened to the dead who died before Jesus came. Because you have to remember, the church down through history, as we talked about last week, we have been looking, we have been yearning, we have been waiting for the return of Christ. It may not be immediate, but it's imminent. It could happen at any time. The church in Thessalonica, they were distraught, thinking, you know, these people have, have, have passed away before Christ came back. And they're waiting for Jesus rightly 2,000 years ago, as they should have been, but some of their brothers and sisters had died and they were wondering, are they going to miss the coming of the Lord? And so Paul wrote to them in 2 Thessalonians 4.13, he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep. You may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. That tells us from that passage there that Paul thought it was highly likely, probable, certainly feasible, that Jesus would come in his lifetime. How do we know that? Because he uses the personal pronoun we all throughout that passage, including himself. He says, we who are alive, who are left. He thought perhaps in his own lifetime that Jesus would come. It's, he says, will not precede those which fall asleep. Now here's the promise of the rapture in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. One of these days, what Paul is saying here in this passage is one of these days, Jesus is going to rise up from his throne in heaven. He's going to hear the Father say to him, Son, go get my children. And Jesus is going to come stepping on the clouds, and when he descends from heaven, a shout will come from his lips, the trumpet will sound, and the voice will echo through the subterranean tombs of this earth. And those who know the Lord Jesus Christ will have their ears turned to him, and we will be glorified to meet him in the air. From the swelling bosom of the sea, they will come. From the winding sheets of the desert sands, they will come. From the battlefields of the world, they will come. From the country graveyards, they will come. 
And he says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now that word caught up, we get that word rapture from the Latin word rapto, which means to seize, to be caught up, caught away, or to be caught up. And here's a verse I, I want you to also write down and look at. It's 1 Corinthians, Paul writing to the church at Corinthians here, talking about this subject in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Paul said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Here he's using this, this concept of mystery again. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, there's the trumpet again, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Paul's consistent through his writing, talking about this concept of a rapture. Paul uses this mystery, and the best way to define mystery is something that has been hidden but is now revealed. Something that has been hidden but is now revealed. God has kept hidden from us the time of the rapture, but it will be revealed when that trumpet sounds. And God says to Jesus, go get my children and bring them home. Think of it this way. If you were to take some metal, say you take some gold, some silver, some copper, some zinc, and some iron and throw it all into the ground, and you were to take one of those heavy magnets, or one of those heavy um, uh, magnet things that, that pulls stuff up out of the ground, um, you know, electromagnetic sweepers, I think would be the best way of saying it. And as you would uh, put it in a shallow, um, shallow ground there, as you sweep that electromagnetic sweeper over the ground, what's going to rise to the top? Not the gold, not the zinc, it's going to be the iron. The iron, because it's charged, is going to come up out of the ground, it would rise. Why would it rise? Because it has the same nature as the magnet. When Jesus comes again, those who are followers of Christ will be just like that. We will be heaven bound. Those who have the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which remain are alive will be caught up to meet him in the air. You might say, Pastor Robert, you're a seminary-educated college degree. Do you believe in this rapture? This seems kind of like crazy talk to think about this, to which I would say yes. Well, you say, doesn't it smack a little bit of like supernaturalism? Doesn't it seem kind of crazy, kind of supernatural to, to think about? Yes, indeed, it does. And Paul addresses that in the verse that we just read. He said in verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. What Paul's saying is, since we already believe in a supernatural act, since we believe that Jesus Christ conquered death and hell and rose up from the grave on the third day, yes. I believe. If you can believe in the fact that Jesus is alive today, conquering death and hell, you can believe in a rapture. Now that's the what. It is the sacred mystery. Let's move on to the second one. Not only the what, but the who. The who. Who is the ones who will be caught up in the rapture? That is the multitude, the select multitude of the rapture. Not everybody's going to go up. 
Look again in Revelation chapter 4. It says, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. These 24, they represent the dead in Christ, and those who have been transformed because they have believed in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, for their salvation. These are not angels. Some people have speculated that these are angels. Notice how they are described. They are described as clothed in white. Clothed in white garments. What do these white garments represent? Well, the white garments, they represent the righteousness of Jesus that we have in Christ because of his death upon his cross for our sins. You see, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. So when God looks upon us, he doesn't see the awful wickedness that's in our heart. He sees the righteousness of Christ, which is pure white. Pureness. We see these sitting here in pure white garments. You know, the best interpretation of many of these symbols is really the Bible itself. Jesus was talking about this himself. This idea of a rapture in Luke chapter 17, verse 4. Jesus says, I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Jesus is coming, and where Jesus is, we will be gathered together. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus, and we're going to look at Matthew describe this passage a little bit more here in just a moment. But two in one bed, one taken, the other left. Two at the mill, grinding at the mill together, one taken, the other left. Two in the field, one taken, the other left. You know, I I look at a congregation, even of this size. We're not the largest congregation, but even a congregation of this size. And I wonder if the second coming of of the rapture were to take place before I finished this sermon today. Who would be taken and who would be left? There is a vast difference that separates people even in this building. A lot of us, we look alike. We live in a lot of the same homes. We live in a lot of the same communities. But we are vastly different spiritually. Those who are ready for Jesus to come and those who are not. And it may well be that at the rapture, that one day, when that rapture takes place, there'll be one of Bethel gone and another left. I really hope that's not the case. Two will be sitting in church, one taken, the other left. There is a select multitude. Not everyone is going up in the rapture. Only those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. That is the select multitude. And we find here them represented as the 24 elders. They represent the select multitude. Let's go on to the third division, which is when is the rapture going to take place? Let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 4. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Remember, the trumpet shall sound. It says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. No ifs, ands, or buts. It must happen, and it happens immediately. It says, and at once I was in the Spirit. 
and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. When did this happen to John? It happened immediately and suddenly. He was not even expecting it. There he is. He's been looking at the churches. He's been writing about the churches there in Asia Minor. Then immediately he was caught up. He's been describing the church age and suddenly the trumpet sounds and immediately he's caught up to heaven. Remember what we said last week, the return of Christ is not immediate, but it is imminent. It will take place. And that's what's going to happen to you if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. When that rapture takes place, at the end of the church age, Christ will come back. In chapters 2 and 3, we hear the word all throughout those chapters, the church, the church, the church, the church. But when we move to chapter 4 of Revelation, we no longer hear that term, the church. But now you know, this word drops out. Why is that? Because we leave the age of grace, which is the church age, and immediately the trumpet sounds, and we're caught up to meet him in the air. When is Christ coming for his church? When is he coming? I don't know. You don't know. No one knows. The Father knows only. And Jesus, even in his humanity when he was here on earth, denied himself that privilege until he was caught up in glory. Why? Because it is the sacred mystery. It is the time known only to God. If anyone tells you they know when the rapture is going to take place, they're a false teacher because nobody knows. Nobody knows the day. We can see all kinds of things that seem to indicate the coming of Jesus is near. But let me tell you, there is no sign that Jesus is coming soon and no lack of signs that he's not coming soon. I remind you that the Apostle Paul was expecting Jesus Christ in his own lifetime. Was Paul wrong? No. He was absolutely right. Every Christian is right to be expecting Christ in his lifetime. If there be, has to be certain signs for Jesus to be fulfilled before Jesus has come, that takes away the imminency, takes away the expectancy. But every Christian from every time of, from Christ's ascension until this day should be living with that any moment mentality. Christ could come at any moment mentality. We should all be living with that thought in our minds, not knowing when Jesus would come. You may have heard the term Maranatha. You know, a lot of times you'll hear some, some phrases. That was a term actually coined by the early church. You know what the church would do? as they would leave their services every Sunday from gathering, they would say this term, Maranatha. Do you know what that term means? It means, Lord, come quickly. Lord, come quickly. They live their life with an expectancy that today might be the day. Let's go to Matthew. You know, a lot, when we talked a couple of weeks ago, on, uh, when we walked through our, our, our mission statement, we kind, of, we kind of bagged on Matthew a little bit because he wasn't very descriptive in his writing, but Luke was very descriptive. I'm going to flip that today. Matthew didn't, or Luke didn't give us a whole lot, but Matthew tells us the rest of the story. Matthew chapter 24, verse 38. It says, For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, 
until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. See, Matthew kind of fleshes it out a little bit more for us than what Luke did in that same passage, this teaching of Jesus. Be ready, be awake, be alert, because we do not know when the Son of Man, when Jesus Christ shall return. Just like he's using this, if we knew when the thief was coming, <laughs> we would stay awake all night ready for that thief, just like we do not know when Jesus is coming. So we should live every moment of our life as though we are going to meet our Savior. Jesus may come today. Ask, are you ready to meet him? Are you ready? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? And don't let this blow past you. Several things. We should learn of his coming. We should. You cannot afford to be ignorant concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ, of Bible prophecy. And that's why I'm preaching on this series. And you, you might say, Pastor Robert, how do we know these things to be true? Last week, we talked about all of the prophecies that had been fulfilled all throughout Scripture and how just eight prophecies about Christ that we know to be true because history proves them to be true is a statistical impossibility. So if God has been true, batting a thousand percent up until this point, history proves it to be true. Archaeology proves it to be true. All of these pointed to be true. The Bible is 100% true, cover to cover. We know that what we read in Revelation, that we can have confidence that it will be true. Because God always fulfills his promises. We should learn of his coming. Number two, we should live for his coming. The proof that you believe what I'm saying is not whether you write it down in your notebook or whether you get it in your head, but how you live your life. Do you live your life as though today is the last? Number three, we should look for his coming. Should expect him to come. You're not wrong to expect him to come. He may come at any moment. And number four, we should long for his coming. So many times we think about earthly things that happen on this life. Oh, I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see them graduate from high school, graduate from college, get married. I want to see my grandkids. We think about all of these like joys and pleasures in life that we want to experience. Missing the fact that in heaven with Christ is far better than anything we can experience on this sinful world. We should long for his coming. We should pray for his coming. We should desire to be caught up with Christ in heaven. Our phrase 
And we're going to continue to say throughout this series is sorrow looks back. It looks back on the past. We look back on this past week of the events of this past week with grieving hearts and with sorrow. Worry looks all around. We worry about the events. We worry even, you know, as parents, are my kids going to be okay when I send them off to school? Are we okay in our homes? Worry looks all around, but hope looks up. With hope, we look up, knowing that our, our Lord is coming. So ask, are you ready to meet him? Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived the perfect life, died the death that you and I should have died to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could have forgiveness of sins and a right relationship with the Father. So when I ask, are you ready to meet him? Have you made that decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And look upon him for forgiveness of sins. So when you think about the moments of the rapture, when you think about the who, the select multitude, it is those who have made that decision to trust Christ for salvation. So when I ask you that question, are you ready to meet him? Have you made that choice? Let's pray.